This is uh, Luke chapter 18. We're going to be starting in verse 31 and going to the end of the chapter. And this is God's word to you because he loves you. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As they drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and that the, the very fact that we have your word is a token of your love to us, that you want to speak to us, that you want to reveal yourself to us, you want to open yourself to us. We ask that you would open us to you. Give us faith to hear the words of your love, uh, the words of the gospel and what uh, you have done for us in Jesus. And we pray that these words would shape us individually, in our families, and as a community in, in this church. And uh, as we uh, live here in Bellingham and in, in our work, uh, that we would be a people marked by love. And so we ask that you'd be our teacher now. Send us your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, what I want to do this morning is I, I want to use this passage as kind of a meditation on love and uh, Christian love, I guess, uh, you know, in pretty much every tradition, every religion, um, love is considered something that's, that's both beautiful, uh, both uh, uh, demanded of all people, that you should love people. Um, that's pretty widely known uh, throughout the world in all, in all cultures. But love does not play in any other uh, tradition as central a role as it does in the Bible and in Christianity, um, you know, I'll tell you what I mean by that. If, for example, if you if you uh, take a tradition like Buddhism in the in the Far East, um, the uh, Buddhism, the fundamental thing about Buddhism is it says that really um, God, you know, if there is a God, uh, God and the universe are basically one, and actually everything is 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 fundamentally one. And so, if you're going to kind of develop spiritually in your life, the thing you need to do is is realize basically your oneness with everything. So the fact that everything is one uh, means there's no other. At the center of reality, there's no other, so there can't be love. Love can't be at the center. Love can be a good thing, a beautiful thing, but it can't be at the center because there's no other. There's no two. You need two to have love, right? And actually, if you if you look at Islam. Uh, Islam is similar in that regard. Uh, Islam believes that, that Allah made all things. 
And, uh, but before Allah made the universe and made all things, what was there? There was just Allah. There was one. And if there's only one, you can't have love. So love didn't exist uh, before, before the universe began. It can't be at the center, the essence of reality. Love can't be at the center of the essence. And of course, that's true in the West. If you, as you look in the kind of Western world, in the modern world, uh, love is, you know, is a good thing, but it's basically a so- social construction, right? That love is something that our species has kind of evolved that helps us to get along so we don't kill each other and so that we survive. But, you know, where did all the, the, the beauty of the world, the trees and the life come from? Actually, it came from competition, Right? The strong eat the weak. That's what evolution is about. The strong eat the weak, and that's how you get trees and animals and species, uh, is violence. Actually, at the center of reality, the center of life, is, is not love but violence. So love is a good thing. I mean, everyone knows that love is a good thing, but whether you look in the East, whether you look in the Near East, uh, in, in, in the Middle East, or you look in the Western world, none of them, love is the central, central reality behind the universe and behind all things. But when you come to the Bible, what you find in the Bible is a God who uh, is one God who made all things. But even before he made all things, he was three. He wasn't just one, he was three. He was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that before the world was even made, there was love. They had this intimacy, this transparency, this relationship, this dance, this joy that they made this world to come and be a part of. And so the deepest reality of the world, deeper than any other reality in the world, is love. And that's why the Bible, you know, when it talks about what does it mean to be human, what does it look like to be human, it means love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love, right? And that First John says God is love. The only way God could be love is if there was more than one person in God. That's why you need a community. God is a community. And so... Um, um, what we should expect uh, as we come to the Bible and we look at the Bible's reflections on what love looks like, we should expect that it should actually be more textured, more rich, more nuanced, more full than kind of the ideas that we have about love uh, in the world and that other ideas about, you know, because love is a pretty vague thing. Uh, everyone knows it's good. It's kind of some kind of energy or feeling that, that uh, between people that I want to tap into, I want to, uh, you know, hone in on. Uh, but what I want to do as we go through this passage is just look at five things that this passage says about love. And in particular, you know, I'm, I'm actually not going to primarily talk about how we love each other. But I'm going to talk about that love is defined by how God has loved us. What does it look like for God to love us? What does that look like? Because in the Bible it says, uh, Jesus says, just as I have loved you, now go and love one another. And so if you want to learn to love each other, if you want love to be central in your life and to be working out, you want to be experiencing love, the way to do that is to meditate on how God has loved you. And that will tra- that'll change you. That will transform you. And that will teach you how to, you'll be following him. You'll be emulating what God has already done for you. So five things on uh, what love is uh, from this passage. And um, the first is this, that love is a promise. Love is a promise. Now, um, uh, in this passage, we have Jesus with his disciples. He's, he, he's been on this journey from, uh, to Jerusalem from his hometown up in, or, you know, up in Galilee, uh, his, uh, the neighborhood he was living in. He's traveling south 
to Jerusalem where he's eventually going to die and he's going to do his great act of love where he dies on the cross for our sins. He bears the sins of the world on himself. It's the great act of love and he's getting close to there. And, uh, and um, it says in verse 31, And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And um, what Jesus is saying is that what he's about to do, this act of love, is he's doing what God promised he, had been, he was going to do in the Old Testament. God had promised that he was going to save people. And, uh, and Jesus is kind of, God has basically obligated himself uh, to love both his people, Israel, but also to love the whole world. God has obligated himself. And Jesus is saying, I am doing right now what God has already promised to do. He's already, he's constrained himself that he has to do this because he said he would. And now I'm going to go do it. And, uh, and so despite the fact that, you know, humans are, are uh, you know, ability to deserve love, even though we change, and uh, even God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, were very fickle in their faith toward God, even, the, even though all that was changing, because God had promised his love, his love re- remained unchanging because of the promise. And, you know, that's very, you know, a marriage is very similar to that, right? Um, I, I actually just picked up a book this week uh, by a guy named Walter Wengren, a book on marriage. And uh, at the very beginning, he's talking about what a marriage is, and he says, he says this, that uh, marriage... About marriage, a promise made, a promise witnessed, a promise heard, remembered, and trusted. This is the groundwork for marriage. Not emotions, not physical desires or personal needs or sexuality, not the practical fact of living together, not even the piercing foresight or some peculiar miracle of all seeing God. Rather, a promise, a vow makes the marriage. I promise you my faithfulness until death do, do uh, until death parts us, and um, and so the reason for this is because things are always changing in a relationship. If you're really going to love someone, uh, your emotions are going to come and go. Uh, the 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 worldly reasons to justify you being in that relationship are going to come and go. They're going to be there and not be there. And unless the love is built on a promise, uh, it's not going to be a sustaining love. It's not going to be an unchanging love. And so what the first thing that Jesus says is the thing that I'm doing for you is what God has promised to do. And the groundwork of my love for you is God's promise. And, uh, you know, that, that may sound stale to us. You know, I, we kind of want people to love us because they, they think we're great. And, uh, you know, they feel like, wow, I want to be around that person. And, uh, uh, and the fact is those feelings, are, they are important. You know, feelings are, do matter. It says that Jesus had compassion on people. Uh, he saw someone and he loved them. He did have an internal feeling of love. But those things will come and go. And, uh, and even for God, God's love is based on a promise, on what he has obligated and promised us to do. And then it's in that regard that the Bible is very realistic. The Bible's not sentimental. You know, the Bible's not a Hallmark card about love with the bunny rabbits and the, and the birds are chirping and, and let's, let's love each other and let's have merry feelings towards each other. The Bible says, listen, uh, love is not a natural thing to do and it has to be built on an obligation. And even for us, you know how we love each other? It's built on the fact that Jesus has commanded us to love each other. You love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes you're going to have to love people for that reason. 
And the feelings will come as you do that. Um, and we trust God that he'll give us the feelings in the midst of that. But the first thing about biblical love is that it is a promise. Um, it's by obligation. Second thing about love is that love is sacrificial. Love in the Bible is sacrificial. Uh, in the next verse, Jesus gives us a little glimpse of what he's going to do for us. How is he going to love us? What is his love for us going to look like? He's going to describe it. And this is in, in, G, in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls this his hour. He says, this is the hour I've come for. This is the whole purpose of me being here. For, I came down from heaven to come to you. This is the very purpose. And this is what he says. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. One of the, uh, the most basic things about the gospel, one of the deep realities that the gospel says about true love, love that comes from heaven, is that uh, it's a love that's willing to be slaughtered. And that's what he's describing. He's describing being slaughtered. And, uh, and what love, what God's love looks like for us is, is not a running away from pain, but love is a willingness to suffer. And uh, I know that's not um, romantic sounding. Uh, you know, when we think of love, we think of happiness and, and not suffering. And, um, but, you know, actually when I was in uh, seminary, we we had these preaching classes where you practice sermons. There'd be 10 people in a room and they all had a, a clipboard and you give a sermon and then they tell you what they thought of it. And in one of the guys who was giving a sermon, he used a video as kind of a, a uh, you know, an illustration for part of his sermon. And in this video, he, uh, there, it was about a, a guy who uh, was a train operator who operated the, the, oh, it was a bridge actually, and, um, and he had this son that he loved, and there was this delightful little boy, and the father and the son were very close, and they had this tender relationship. And then it shows this train coming, and, um, and the boy is playing on the train tracks on the, the bridge, and he gets in some hole where the gears on the bridge are or something. And all of a sudden, uh, the operator's got his hand on the thing, and the, the train's coming, and uh, the, the train track's up or something like that. And so the whole train's going to be destroyed, and all these people are going to die unless the father pulls the thing and it crushes the kid. And, and so and it, it's supposed to be this illustration of the gospel, you know, that God had to crush his son so that we could all live. But I, I was very, uh, <laughs> I was offended by this illustration. I don't know if you've heard this illustration before. But the picture, it was just this chaotic thing. The, no, the kid had no say in it. The kid was not loving this train track that was coming and, and saying, I'm willing to die so that all the people on this train can live. Uh, and, and, and he's crushed in the middle of it. And I mean, it was very troubling for me just because I had young children. And I was like, oh, man, this is horrible. I, can't, I couldn't even listen to the rest of his sermon. But, but also the fact that that's not what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus wasn't in some situation that was out of his control, and he says, well, gosh, uh, the evil is just crashing in on me. I have no control. Listen to what he's saying here. He's saying, I know that you need to be loved, and I know that that's going to mean me suffering, and because I love you, you're worth it. He intentionally walks into the pain. And the only reason he was willing to do that was because he believed in resurrection. 
He believed in the miracle of God. That's what he says in, in verse 33. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. The way that we, biblical love, is walking, it, God walking into pain for us. Trusting in the power of God. Jesus walking into pain. Trusting that the power of God is going to show up and work. And, um, and, you know, I'll also say that the fact that love is sacrificial also means that love is an event. Uh, that, that's a big thing about, the, about Christian love. You know, the fact that God loved us isn't that God is some kind of vapor up in the sky who has, you know, warm feelings about us. I mean, he does have warm feelings. He does have joy about us. But the big thing about God's love was that he did something. It was an action. It was something he did in the flesh and blood and the body. It was getting flogged. It was getting beaten. It was an event that happened. And, you know, I know in, in my, uh, my marriage that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm a very expressive kind of person, you know. I'm, I'm. It's, it's very natural for me to tell Shannon my feelings about her, and, and uh, you know, it's funny that the, if you know much about like love languages and things, people respond to different things that really touch them and they feel loved by. And I, it seems like God matches up marriages so that the thing that we're good at doing is not the thing that really uh, <laughs> touches our spouse. And so uh, <laughs> Shannon's glad that I'm expressive. But she wants an event, all right? You love me. What's the event? <laughs> you know, come home and you watch the kids, change a diaper. <laughs> um, that event actually makes her feel cherished and feels loved more. Than, I mean, she wants me to tell her that I think she's beautiful and all that. And, uh, but the fact is, the thing that's really going to be moving to her is an event. And that's the truth about, about uh, Christian love and God's love for us is that it's not purely feelings. God has acted it out. He's done something. And um, it looks like a sacrificed body. It's something that he's done in the flesh and blood. Okay, so love is a promise. Love is sacrificial. But thirdly, this is related to love is sacrificial, is that love is merciful. The love of God is merciful. Now, uh, you see that in verse 35, the, the, the scene changes. And it says this, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and he heard a crowd going by. He inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this, here's a, here's a beggar on the side of the road, uh, you know, not a theologian. But look at the move that he makes, this, this move of faith. When, they, when he says, what's happening, they say Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And he ups uh, his view of, of Jesus from Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus, son of David. That's the Messiah, the promised king of Israel, the promised king of the world who would come and make all things right. He says, you're, you're the son of David. And he says to him, have mercy on me. What's interesting is that here's a man who's blind, and what he wants Jesus to do for him is to heal his body, to make him well. And the way that he asks him for that is for him to have mercy on him. And what that means is he says, listen, Jesus, I know I don't deserve for you to do anything for me. The only reason that, that, um, that you'll do anything for me, you're going to make an act towards me or to help me, is, be, is because you're going to choose to not deal with me according to my sin, but according to your steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Deal with me according to your love, not according to my sin. That's what mercy is. And that's, what all, that's the heart of the gospel. That's how we all, whether you're a new Christian, whether you're someone who's thinking of becoming a Christian, or whether you're something who's been a Christian for decades, we are continually coming to God saying, God, please don't deal with me according to my sin, but according to your steadfast love and faithfulness to me in Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. And that's, uh, that's what love is. Um, biblical love is merciful. And I'll tell you this, how this connects with love being sacrificial is that forgiveness, grace, mercy is always painful. I mean, when you forgive someone, it's not just a, okay, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes, you know, people do things to us and you say, hey, don't sweat it. It's not a big deal. You know, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense is what Proverbs says. But, but true, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is offering us here is always painful. What you're saying is, listen, you've done something wrong to me, and instead of deflecting the punishment for that, I'm going to actually incur it on myself. I'm going to suffer it. And so, I mean, that's something for us to know, that if we ever ask someone to forgive us, it's not just like, uh, come on, get over it kind of thing. It's you're asking them to suffer for you, to suffer instead of you. And that's what Jesus did for us, is that he was willing to suffer for us. And uh, that's the kind of love that God's shown, shown to us is, is the pain. And, um, but there's another side to that, is that love is merciful. But fourthly, is fourthly a word? Fourthly, fourthly, love is demanding. Love is also demanding. And um, I'll show you what I mean by that. Um, after this blind man, you know, the blind man's on the side of the road. Jesus is with a bunch of people. They're walking down the road, and he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And um, it says in verse 39, And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And uh, what Jesus' disciples are doing is they're saying, Listen, keep your mouth closed. I mean, here's a blind man, which probably in their culture meant this man is cursed by God for some reason. God, he has done something wrong, and that's why he's blind. Maybe his parents sinned. For some reason, he is someone, he's unclean, and here's now the Messiah coming along. He shouldn't be coming into Jesus' presence, and they're, and they're keeping him at a distance. And one of the things, though, that you notice is that Jesus doesn't say anything. His disciples are rebuking him and keeping him away, and Jesus doesn't say anything. He waits for the man to cry out again. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus actually does demand of us a really courageous faith. Jesus is, uh, is merciful to us. He's forgiving to us. And yet he also wants to draw out of us a courage, a, a willingness to, be, uh, to persevere. And what he wants, even this blind beggar on the side, he's saying to him, I want you to push through that. I want you to cry out again. You had a first, uh, you had resistance that says, maybe this isn't a possibility that there's grace for you. I want you to keep crying out to me. And, um, you know, there's a, a, a similar, uh, let me say this first, that, you know, that, that's how we are with our children, too. You know, we love our chil- children. We're willing to forgive them, and we're going to love them no matter what and unconditionally. But we want to draw out of them persistence and courage and, and, and toughness as well. And we're going to put things in their life to encourage that to come out. We're going to be looking for those things. Love does that. Love demands of us to become a, a new person and to grow. 
That's part of Jesus' love for us. And actually, you know, there's a very similar story to this in Matthew 15. Some of you know it about a Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus. And the Canaanite, you know, here's a Gentile woman. And she comes to Jesus. She says, my daughter has been, is demon-possessed. Please come heal her. And it's a very strange story, but Jesus uh, doesn't say a word to her. He doesn't even look at her. And he says, I only came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she says, you know, please come have mercy on my, my daughter. And he looks at her and he says, do you think we give the food of the children to dogs? He, took, he calls this woman a dog. And, uh, and you, I mean, we read that and we're like, gentle Jesus, loving, uh, sweet and mild Jesus is calling this woman a dog? What's going on with that? But she persists. And she says, don't even the dogs get crumbs from the children's table? And you know what Jesus does? He turns to her and says, I haven't seen faith like this in anyone in all of God's people. And he doesn't say that to anyone else in the gospel. There's maybe one other person that he commends them for their faith. Even his disciples, he says to them, how small is your faith? But here's this woman that he was shunning. He was drawing out of her a deep faith. And which appeared to be that uh, he was being really harsh to her. And I'll tell you that even if you're a person who has spent your life and you believe that God is gracious, he's kind, he's loving, you will know that God has put times into your life where it appears that he is uh, shunning you, he's absent, he's vanished. And the fact is that that's part of God's love to us. That's part of God's love to this blind man is that he wants to draw out a strong faith, a persevering faith. And, uh, and that's, that's what he demands of us. Actually, C.S. Lewis has a, in his book, uh, Screwtape Letters, which is a collection of letters that, uh, about a, a senior devil writing to his nephew, who's kind of in devil school, learning how to tempt people. And, uh, and in one of the letters, the, the senior devil, Screwtape, says this to Wormwood, his, his nephew. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never, more in, is never in more danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will. The enemy is God, right? Doing our enemy's will. He looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have, van- seems to have vanished and asks why, he has been for- why he's been forsaken and yet still obeys. The devil is saying, you're in big trouble when someone has no reason in the world to be trusting God, and they still do. And uh, Jesus, that's a part of Jesus' love. And it's interesting that what you see is these two parallel parts of God's love for us, that on the one hand, God's love for us is radically gracious and merciful. Jesus has died for every sin, not that you have done, but every sin you ever will do are covered, cared for, taken care of, anticipated, and he's already covered them. And because you're covered in all that grace... God can demand of you great courage and faith. And he does that. And that's part of uh, Jesus' love to us as well. And so, uh, and what Jesus is doing, the reason he makes those demands of us is because he wants to draw out of us who God really intends us to be. And that, that leads to our, our, our last meditation on love is that love is wellness. Love is um, wellness. Now, you know, so far, I've said that love is promise, is promise, it's an obligation, it's sacrificial, 
It's merciful, which means you're taking the, you know, God's taking the pain upon himself instead of inflicting it on someone else, and it's demanding. Heavy (laughs) description of love, right? Heavy stuff. Um, And uh, the fact is that in some ways love is all those things, but but not just for those sake. Love does not stay in obligations and sacrifice and suffering and demands. That's not where it lives. It's aimed somewhere else. You know, we think, isn't love playfulness? Isn't love a lightness to it? Isn't it a freedom instead of obligations and sacrifice? But all those things, obligation, sacrifice, mercy, demands, are all pointed at a kind of wholeness, a freedom, a playfulness. That's what they're aimed at. The gospel is always inverted. (laughs) That God loves us in these ways to lead us into the playfulness and the wellness. And, and, you know, I get that word uh, that love is wellness from verse 42. And Jesus said to to the blind man, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And, um, you know, wellness is kind of a, I think that's a common word in our culture um, that kind of describes a a very holistic kind of human life of, uh, you know, emotional, physical, spiritual, relational kind of health where all things are kind of working properly. And and what Jesus says is, is this man's faith that has made him well. And what faith is, faith is a willingness to receive the, the love of God. It's an openness to believe that there actually is a good God out there who loves me, and it's an open heart to receive it and to embrace it and to rest in it and to trust in it. And he says that faith, that receiving the love of God, leads to wellness. And that's what love is. Love is wholeness. Love is what we're meant for. That's what human life is meant for, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And... um, and faith has brought wellness into this man's life. And, and this is what wellness is. Before the beginning of the world, there was God in three, one God in three. Together, transparent, in a, uh, loving each other in a kind of cosmic dance. Uh, knowing each other, serving each other, glorifying each other. And what God is doing is he's bringing us into that dance. He's bringing us in. That's the whole point of our faith. That's the whole point of our life is for God to bring us into his community, the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You live the Christian life. That's what you're going to find. You're going to find yourself depending on the blessings of the Father, asking him for all that you need and seeing him provide for you. You're going to be looking to Jesus for forgiveness as you fail and and, uh, you need a a shepherd who's tender and, uh, and cares for you and feeds you. And as you rely on the Holy Spirit to teach you to, lo- to love, uh, love each other and to do God's mission in the world, all these things, you're being brought into the dance. And so love is at the center of the universe. It's the center of the crea- uh, It's, the, it's the, the meaning behind all the beauty of the mountains and the trees and the fish and the sky and, and the stars and everything. The deep meaning behind all of that is, is the love of God. And he's inviting us into that. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for how rich your word is, how challenging it is, how realistic and honest it is about our our world. We do pray that you would give us faith to embrace the love that you have for us in Christ. And we thank you that he was willing to walk to Jerusalem, to be flogged and to be killed, believing that resurrection was on the other side. And uh, we pray that you would uh, transform us, as Jesus says, as I have loved you, 
uh, go and, and you ought to love one another. Would that be true for us as a congregation, um, as individuals? May the gospel uh, sink in and uh, take root in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.